This is Come and See from the St. Andrew's Anglican Church for October 28, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. The message by Father Ron Baird. Today's Gospel lesson, we continue this journey that Jesus has been uh, taking, uh, that we've been reading through Mark. We actually only have three or four more Sundays that we'll be doing, Mark, um, and then we'll be moving to one of the other Gospels. But we've been following his um, path from Caesarea Philippi in the northern part of Israel all the way down to, as he goes, to Jerusalem. And in today's story, he arrives in Jericho. Jericho is perhaps the oldest city in the world, at least continuously lived in city in the world. And um, most people know it because they know that Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. If they don't know anything else, they know that part about it. But here he arrives in Jericho, and it says that he went into Jericho with his disciples, and he came out with a big crowd. It doesn't tell us anything about what went on in between, but apparently he must have been preaching or something because, um, you know, on the way in, it was just him and his disciples. On the way out, he's got a whole crowd of people. Now, Jericho is... Kind of the last stop before you get to Jerusalem because then you turn west. Um, so if you're going south, you turn right. And you take the Jericho Road all the way to Jerusalem. And it's the Jericho Road that we hear the story of the Samaritan, uh, the Good Samaritan. That was on the Jericho Road because it, it was a lonely place, they said. And it certainly was because there is nothing between Jericho and Jerusalem except for rock. Lots and lots of rock. And a lot of thieves would be out there and they would rob people as they made that journey between the two places. And so a large crowd, though, is following Jesus, probably going with him to Jerusalem. And as he comes out through the gate, there's a a blind beggar sitting there whose name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. And we don't really know anything about Bartimaeus except for that's his name. And he was a blind beggar because um, even his name is a little bit obscured. It's not quite Aramaic and it's not quite Greek. The bar part would certainly be Aramaic. The the Timaeus part could be um, Aramaic or it could be Greek because it doesn't quite fit. The letters don't work in either language very well. Or it could be a hybrid of something. In Greek, the word would come from a derivative of something that means most highly prized. So very valuable. In Aramaic, it would come from a word which meant unclean. So (laughs) neither of which tells us very much about what all that is. But this man apparently had been able to see at one point and somewhere along the line had, had gone blind. And if you go blind in this day and age, you're really in trouble. Because if you don't have family that will basically just take care of you as an invalid, then then you're on your own. And you can't work. You can't make a productive living. You can't earn any wages. And the only choice you end up having is to sit in the gate of the city. And the reason why they sat in the gate of the city is because that's where everybody came and went. And beg. They would sit there and beg people for food, for a coin, for anything. And they didn't really have a place to live because they couldn't afford a place to live. And so they would just stay there. That's why Bartimaeus, it tells us, has a cloak. Because at nighttime, he would make that kind of a little bed and he would sleep there as well. 
And as he is there, he, he frequently begs for people, have mercy on the blind, have mercy on the blind, you know, and alms for the blind, hoping somebody will just drop a coin in of some kind, maybe give him bread, anything that would just help him to survive because that's his existence. That's all that he has. That's his entire life. And he rarely moves from that spot because if he gave it up, somebody else might come along and take it. And so here he is, and... and this crowd comes through. Now, if you've ever been in a crowd, they're loud and noisy. And so probably it didn't take long for you know, him to figure out what was happening. And he hears that Jesus of Nazareth has been in Jericho and he's been preaching and that he is now going to Jerusalem. And so in the midst of this, it says that Bartimaeus cries out. Now, cries out doesn't quite do it justice. The, the, the Greek word would really be screams. Jesus, son of David! You know, and that didn't work, so he did it again. Now, why is he screaming? Well, think about it. Um, These days, there's usually some campaign group in town, either the president, the vice president, or the two candidates from the Republican Party. If you went to see any of them, could you just go up and say, Hi, I'm so-and-so, how are you doing? I mean, what would you do? If you wanted to say so, you'd have to yell, right? I mean, it'd be the only way you'd be heard. You know, we see that a lot with the press, with the president. Have you ever noticed that whenever the president goes anywhere, there's always an entourage of people? And, and the, Mr. President, Mr. President, they're always asking all these questions. And usually, after about 30 days in office, any president figures out, I'm going to ignore those people <laughs> and go on because they don't answer them. And, uh, but you have to yell. And, and you can imagine that there are people in the crowd who are also yelling for Jesus because they, they want him to heal them, you know, do something rather for them, just like all the crowds always do. That's why they follow him. And so to be heard is going to be really difficult for him. And on top of that, we know he's still sitting down. And so he screams, and he does it again. And when he does it again, something interesting happens. It says in, in our translation, it says, Jesus stood still. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is, but a better translation in modern English would be, he stopped dead in his tracks. He was, who's calling me? Now, he didn't do that a lot. We see it with a woman who had a hemorrhage. You know, not very often does Jesus just stop and ask a question. But something has really gotten his attention about this guy. Almost kind of picture you guys, this whole crowd of people falling like Keystone cops, and Jesus comes to a dead stop, and they all pile into the back of him and fall down. But and so he said, "Who's calling me? Tell him to come here." You know, there's a blind guy over there. Tell him to come here. Now think about that, if you will. If if a blind man were calling to you for help, would you stop and say, "Well, tell him to come over here." What would you do? Go to, I mean, tell him to come here? I mean, he's blind. <laughs> How's he supposed to do this? But that doesn't discourage the crowd. The crowd's, oh, this is going to be neat. And so they go, you know, get up, get up, he's calling you. And then Bartimaeus does something fascinating. It says he throws off his cloak. He casts it away. And he leaps. It says he got up. He leaps up. He doesn't just get up. He leaps to his feet. Now, remember, he's blind. And then what? Then he, go, he runs to Jesus. Now, how did he know where Jesus was? He heard his voice. 
That's all he had was his vo- the voices that way. So, you know, if, if you're really game, we could have an experiment, and I could have you stand in the back somewhere, and I'll move, and then I'll start talking and tell you to run to me real quick. <laughs> you see how that works. And on top of that, this is a crowd that Jesus wants them to come in. And it says that Bartimaeus casts aside his cloak and runs to Jesus. And then Jesus, when he gets there, isn't thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, you got all the way over here or anything. He doesn't say, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Do you remember where we heard this question? Hmm? The wealthy young man? Well, he asked him what he wanted to do for him first, though. But who asked him last week? Remember James and John? We want to ask you something. Whatever we ask you, we want you to do it for us. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Same exact words that he uses. Now, James and John's response was, when you come into your kingdom, one of us wants to sit on the right and one of us wants to sit on the left. And Jesus was like, oh, good grief. Um, You know, these people never get it. But he asked this blind man the same question. And he says to him, Master, I just want to get my sight back. I just want to be whole again. And it says that Jesus looked at him and says, go on your way. Your faith has already made you whole. And then he went on his way, except that the fascinating part is, did you notice what his way was? He followed Jesus. It's what he wanted all along was to follow Jesus. That's all he cared about. Now think about this. This blind man sitting here only had one possession other than the actual rags that he wore. Do you know? What, remember what that was? The cloak, which he cast. What happened to it? It's gone. He didn't care. He doesn't get up and, and sort of say, Jesus, come here. I want to talk to you. He runs to Jesus. And he asks him to be made whole. Why? So that he can follow him and do his bidding. And in this, we see a juxtaposition between this man, this blind man, Bartimaeus, and the disciples, particularly Peter, James, and John. If you remember Peter at Caesarea Philippi, um, had proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, and then got called Satan because he said, God forbid anything like that would happen to you, Lord. We hear the story of the rich young man who says, you know, I'd do anything to follow you. You know, Lord, I've, I've kept all these commandments from my birth. And Jesus said, well, then give up everything you have, sell to the poor and come follow me. But the man couldn't do it. He had too many possessions to do that. And, and then we had James and John who were arguing on the road about who's going to be greatest. And then when they get uh, to a town, they want to talk to him about, you know, who gets on your right and your left. And, and just think about this. For the disciples in particular, for those three, these are Jesus' three best friends. They have seen everything. They have been with him from the very beginning of this ministry. They have seen the miracles of the fishes and the loaves. They've seen all of the incredible things that he has done. They've gone up to the mountaintop where he is transfigured into glistening white with Moses and Elijah beside him. And they see him standing there in glory. You know, they've seen everything and they're blind as bats. They still don't get it. Their eyes are open, but they can't see. And then you've got this blind man sitting in a a gate who can't see anything around him, but knows who he is. And, And the real hook in this whole story is back at the beginning of it. 
where he calls to Jesus. Did you know what he called him? Did you notice that? When he called to him, son of David. Son of David is a very specific title. Who is David? The king. So what would a son of David be? The king or an heir to the throne, right? He knows Jesus. It's the same proclamation that Peter has made at Caesarea Philippi. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. They know the prophecy of the anointed one, the Messiah, who will come into the world, who will restore the kingdom of David to Israel. And this blind man who can't see anything around him sees that perfectly well. And all that he wants is to be able to follow him. He doesn't want glory. He doesn't want riches. He doesn't want great things. He just wants to be able to see so that he can follow him. And when we see that Jesus doesn't go to him, but rather he says, tell him to come here. Do you think Jesus didn't know he would? Of course he knew he would. But did the man know he would? It's very much like the rich young man, isn't it? Well, I followed all those commandments, Lord. I've done all that. There's only one thing you lack. Apparently for Bartimaeus, there was only one thing he lacked, and that was to really risk life and limb and everything he had to cling to Jesus. And even then when Jesus heals him, he tells him, you know, go on your way. You can go whatever way you want to. The choice is yours. But again, Jesus already knows what he'll choose because he knows what's in his heart, and he follows him. Because he wants to be with him. You see, Bartimaeus is an icon, a symbol, if you will, of what we as the church are called to be. Much more so than St. James or St. John or St. Peter. We're called to be like Bartimaeus. Now, we can choose. All too often we can see things, but we're blind. But we're really called to be like Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was willing to surrender everything to follow Jesus. You know, he was willing to give up anything to follow Jesus. He was willing to risk anything to follow Jesus. And the truth is, is that if you want to follow Jesus, that's what it's going to cost. You know, there, there's a thing going around. It's called the prosperity gospel. Have you all heard about the prosperity gospel? It's the people on TV who tell you that if you send them a donation and a handkerchief, they'll bless it and you'll get rich. Um, I've often wondered about that sort of thing, that, that God wants to bless you with all these things, so if you do the right things, then he'll, he'll give you all the, right, all the best things. And I'm thinking, have they read the stories of the people who followed him? They didn't do too well. <laughs> I mean, they, they were mostly martyred. You know, where do we get the idea that God somehow or other is impressed with human wealth? That that somehow or other means a lot to him. Matter of fact, if, if you read Scripture, he more often sees it as a burden on people. You know, it's something that, that's hard for us because all too often our possessions possess us. I mean, think about that if you would. What if somebody said to you, well, what you need to do is sell your house and your, all the stuff in it and go to Africa. Would you go, sure, no problem. Or would you be going, oh, no, the market's kind of down. I don't think I could get all the money out of it. <laughs> I mean, it would be really hard to do. We can't. But what we have to learn from Bartimaeus is that we are all called to let go, to let go of everything for the sake of Christ. Now, does that mean that we won't have it? 
I don't know. That isn't my decision. That's Jesus' decision, isn't it? But it does mean that even if we do have it, we realize it's no longer ours, but rather it is his, and it's to be used for his reasons. And, and I can understand the reluctance of Christians to do that because the church all too often in history has said, you need to give away everything because um, you should give it to us. When I was Southern Baptist, I was in a Valley View Baptist church with Brother Upchurch. That was the senior pastor's name, Brother Upchurch. That was an unfortunate name. But, um, and so Brother Upchurch decided, he was relatively new, but one of the things he did was they left the Southern Baptist Convention because they were far too liberal. And um, can you all see why I ended up not being a Southern Baptist? <laughs> but, um, and then he um, decided he was going to institute these things. Twice a year he would have Paycheck Sunday. On Paycheck Sunday he told us, Jesus wants you to bring your paycheck, sign it over to the church and put it in the plate. Now, I was only like 19, 20 years old when I went there, but even I knew that if Jesus wanted me to do that, he needed to talk to me. Because <laughs> I wasn't too sure about Brother Upchurch at all. And even that wasn't enough. Then twice a year, he had Jewelry Sunday. When Jesus wanted you to show your commitment to him and, and to take off your jewelry and put it in the collection plates and pass it up and you know give it to the church. It was an interesting Sunday always because there was very little jewelry in the church that Sunday. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. But, and, and his promise was, if you will trust in the Lord that much, he will restore this to you tenfold. You'll have ten times as much if you do that. Well, that's not the Lord I know. The Lord I know doesn't have a place to lay his head. The Lord, I know, if he really wants money, he tells somebody to go fishing and takes a coin out of the mouth of a fish. He's really not that all that impressed with it. And all too often it becomes easy for us to become impressed with it, so impressed with it that it stops being a tool to be used for the glory of God's kingdom. And that's us in the church as well as us as individuals. But stops being used as a tool for God's kingdom. And starts being something that we depend on. And we depend on it more than we depend on God. And that's a problem. That's why Jesus speaks of money so often as a problem. It's not that money's bad. Money's not good. It's not bad. It's just money. What's bad is when it owns us rather than the Lord. And so if we see our wealth as a responsibility to serve the Lord with it, then we truly are blessed to do the things he wants us to do. If we see our poverty as, as being given from the Lord, then we truly are blessed because we're not burdened with all those things. You see, that, that's the distinction that Jesus always brings to it, is that it's not a matter of whether one thing's good and one thing's bad. It's a matter of which way are you looking at it? What is it really about? I mean, when St. Francis took a vow of poverty, he didn't see that as, oh, no, i got to take this vow of poverty. It's really bad. I don't want to do that. He saw it 